the most beautiful place in the world, where a Tar Heel blue sky blankets Murphy on its way to the Tennessee border. It's a long way from Raleigh and the Outer Banks, but we're living in Carolina too. In fact, you might call it Extreme Carolina. With more, here's Michael Borkman. Welcome, welcome everyone to Extreme Carolina, the show that focuses on great people with great stories who prove with their everyday lives that anything is possible. We strive to bring you relatable life lessons from interesting and inspiring people as they live out their purpose on this earth. Folks, get ready. It's time for some good news that you can use. <laughs> and we got a whole big pile of good news that you can use today from my friend, John Labor. Uh, he is a uh, PhD at a school. I mean, the guy is just so smart. The name of the school <laughs> is for scientists. Well, maybe not scientists, but they they use a whole lot of uh, math and all this stuff. What we used to call back in the day arithmetic. You know, today <laughs> now they got it whole different thing. And he's the dean of the school, so we tip our hat to him. He's earned it. I mean, this guy's a really amazing guy. And I'm not going to tell you all about it. I'm going to let him tell us about it and how we got to be where he is today. So, without further ado, let's give my friend John a warm, extreme Carolina welcome, John. Come on in. How you doing today, man? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Hey, it is our pleasure. It's our pleasure to have a guy that is that is in the uh, school system and for helping to make our young people that much better because we need it. We need some. They need some learning. You know, <laughs> ain't no doubt about it in the educational. Well, let me ask you this. So how did you get going in that direction early in your life, John? Did you always know that you were going to be a dean or somewhere like that or teaching? No, um, I always liked science, and no one in my family was really a scientist of any sort. And my dad, he was in the Air Force, and he taught us strong values about the value of a, an education, how important that would be. And he basically told us, you will go to college, and you will pay for it. <laughs> and so he expected the grades. Right. So I started, I started college, and I majored in chemistry. And then mm -hmm. I decided to go on to graduate school and get my PhD in nuclear chemistry from the University of California, Berkeley. Nice. And uh, then I, I began to work in industry and I uh, had also taught for a while while in graduate school mm -hmm. and decided that I really liked teaching. So I went uh, to teaching after a few years in industry. Ah, so once you got your, your feet wet in it, you say, hey, this ain't bad. I like this. This may be the thing for me. And uh, that was a few years ago. Now, you went from that to being the head <laughs> of a school. I mean, talk about a heck of a ride. That was a head of a ride. Did you see the dean ship coming in your future? Or that just kind of happened? Yeah, that just kind of happened. I love teaching. Uh, I like being in the classroom and interacting with students to see their bright minds. You know, each year you get a new group of young, bright minds that come in, and uh, mm -hmm. they just amazed me year after year. But then uh, as I progressed from assistant professor to associate professor to full professor, I got the opportunity to be a, a department head. And so I tried that and really ended up liking it. Um, right. I liked helping, helping other 
uh, faculty out as as they move through their careers. That is nice. So now when you got a taste of it and you enjoyed seeing the bright minds coming into the school each year, you would have a, a crop, a whole brand new ones every year. Now, when when you saw this happening, John, did did you see that, hey, you know, this is where I'm supposed to be because I can I can make a difference in people's lives. Now, you've been doing this for a few years now. Has anybody ever came back to you and said, uh, John, uh, Dr. Labor, you made a serious impact on me and I appreciate it. Has anybody ever said that to you yet? Yes, it was uh, a, a young lady who actually got really mad at me. Uh, she asked me to write her a letter of recommendation to go to medical school. Right. And I told her that I would not write her one until she let me know how she did on the this exam called the MCAT exam. Right. And mm-hmm. uh, I had to have a very stern conversation with her about her future. And um, she didn't speak to me for a few years. And she came back, <laughs> you know, maybe five years later and started talking to me again and asking me for career advice. And it was at that moment that uh, I I felt like, yes, I need to be honest with the kids and Mm -hmm. give them a realistic taste of of what the future is like. And that I think, because I was affected by a high school chemistry teacher. Mm -hmm. He, um, when my, uh, when I was in in, uh, 10th grade, I took a chemistry class and the guy teaching the class, that was his last year teaching. And he didn't really care. So the next year I took another advanced chemistry class and we had a brand new teacher in and he was great. Wow. He was just awesome. And so when I finished graduate school, I actually dedicated my uh, dissertation to him and I sent him a copy and let him know how much he meant to me and, and what an influence, what a positive influence he had on my life. Man, I tell you what, that, that right there, means the world to a teacher that lets them know hey this is what i supposed to do when a kid come back later on and say because of you you made a difference in my life man that's got to be one of the best feelings in the world right there man i mean especially when you know you were just doing your job you know you just in there working every day doing your thing doing your thing and then later on years later uh, somebody come back and say that to you. I mean, that's awesome. <laughs> that's a good feeling. I'll say this, and it ain't about me, the show, but I got to tell you this. I mean, my grandson, you know, who was, you know, young fella living in another state, you know, and he was going through school. He was playing football. And I, you know, kind of kept up with him a little bit. And he was a heck, a heck of a football player, which I was in my day. You know, I, I really love football and that was really good. But, you know, I got hurt my leg, so I didn't go far. But he was doing well and they did, they asked them, uh, the seniors, hey, you know, who's been the most influence in your life? And this was, you know, I think he was 11th, 12th grade and I kept that picture. And he told them, he said, my grandpa, he had the <laughs> most experience and I didn't even know it at that time, you know, this was nice. years later. When I found that out, oh, man, I just like melted, you know, I melted, you know. And so I, I, I kind of get an idea of how you feel when some of the kids come back to you, man. That That's great. Uh, but now you're in a real serious, serious. Um, well, not that all of them not serious, but you're in a profession that 
it's a lot of smart guys, you know, <laughs> a lot of smart guys, but not so much that I want to talk about all the smart guys being that you are getting fed every day doing what your passion is. And that passion is helping young people. But I've also heard about you helping young people away from the school and that you were you had a passion to help those that kind of took the wrong turn. Not just all those that were on the right track, some that took the wrong turn. You went out to help them. How did that come about, that you were able to reach out and help the young people? Well, it was kind of an accident. You know, that's normally how God works, right? He puts somebody <laughs> yeah. in your life. Yeah. And uh, this uh, guy I knew, Curtis, he came up to me and he said, hey, would you like to go into a prison with me and some other uh, folks that um, he did a ministry with? And I said, sure. And so we just went into a prison one time and sang some some hymns, I think. And then mm-hmm. a few months later, he asked me to join this team uh, for a program called Epiphany. And Epiphany ministers to wow. uh, incarcerated youth. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a three-day weekend. You go in there and you, you minister to these kids for three days. And then after that, you go once a month and, and meet with them. And so I did it one time, just thinking it would be a one-time <laughs> event. And right. many years later, <laughs> I uh, <laughs> my final epiphany. Um, yeah. But my uh, my wife and I, uh, when we moved to Colorado, so that was in Georgia. Mm-hmm. When my wife and I moved to Colorado, we started the epiphany ministry out there. Because and there. The, hardest, the hardest thing that I thought in my mind would mm-hmm. be to raise money to do it. But that was the easiest. We found very, very many generous people who are willing to give us money to go into prison and, and minister to these youth. And wow. in the state, in Colorado, the head of the youth corrections or the chief, the uh, the chaplain of the youth corrections didn't want us to go into a youth facility. So we had to go to an adult facility, but it was an adult facility that housed uh, underage uh, kids. So they were uh, kids convicted as adults. Wow. And so we were able to minister to them. Woo. Man, that had to be heart. You know, that had to be pulled on your heartstring right there. Young kids that had made a mistake in life. And here they are in an adult prison having to spend probably the most of their life right there in prison. And uh, for you guys to go in there and to give them some uh, counseling and to bring uh, the word of Christ to them, you know, which. I mean, think about that. I mean, here we are doing our thing, working, working, working. We're not even thinking about anything like that. And all of a sudden, like you said, it's how God works. He whipped it in front of you, the opportunity. Now, do, how much of a difference like it is in school that you've made in some of those kids' lives? You know, I mean, because you did it for quite a few years. And uh, did any of them uh, actually you know, contact you afterwards and say, Hey, you made a difference in my life. Thank you very much. The same thing. Did that happen like that? Uh, yes. In, in some cases we weren't allowed to contact them uh, directly so okay. they could write us letters, but we couldn't write back to them. So sure. it's sure. kind of a once one-sided communication, but sure. we got some very meaningful letters uh, from the kids who really looked up to both my wife and to me as, you know, parent figures. Mm-hmm. There, there were some of the kids that never even had a birthday celebration. Wow! And so we would do a we would do a birthday celebration uh, celebration during the weekend so they could mm-hmm. at least experience that. 
And one of the kids that I remember had never had a root beer float. And he asked us if we had invented root beer floats. <laughs> but we, wow. um, a few years later, after we stopped doing the ministry, we were able to actually meet with some of the uh, kids who had gotten out of the program who were mm-hmm. living very productive lives. And in particular, I remember meeting one young man mm-hmm. who uh, was getting ready to get married and he had yeah. really turned his life around, positive outlook. Mm-hmm. And that spoke volumes to me that, you know, these kids are worth the time and the effort to uh, minister to. That is amazing. You know, truly, truly. Uh, I find that so amazing that, you know, um, you know, a lot of kids, that's all that they need is for just somebody to pay attention to them, you know, to let them know, hey, your life is worth saving. You know, your life is good. You have something in you that you can be, that you can make a difference in this, in this world, in this life. But a lot of times the kids today, they don't get that. And, you know, I'm not talking about the ones that are in prison. I'm not the ones that are not in prison, that they don't get that kind of reinforcement. And, uh, man, that is so amazing. So, you know, for the people that are listening to the show today, John, I mean, you know, how would you, or if you could, you know, say, you know, what could you say to the folks that are listening that they could possibly make a difference in some kid's life today? You know, what would you say? So I'm going to give an answer from a a male perspective, a male scientist perspective. Many times in the past, I would treat life like it was a race to a destination and I wouldn't enjoy the journey. And I I think there are things that are placed in front of us all the time. I got these opportunities and don't overlook those opportunities. And many times those opportunities are way outside of your comfort zone. Mm. And it's those that I feel are the ones that really uh, spoke to me, at least, you know, when someone, when someone asked me to go into a prison, I thought, what the heck do I want to go into a prison for? (laughs) (laughs) Nope, not me, brother. (laughs) Once I did it, it was the most incredible experience in my life, you know, just to find these, these kids who are hungering for attention and guidance yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and even all the other volunteers that would do this and, and those that work in, you know, for the various state or federal prisons, you know, they have a calling too. you know, mm-hmm. uh, to, even though it may be their job, they're still ministering to these kids or, or inmates, adults day in and day out. That is powerful, powerful. And I love that. You know, you're right. It's like getting out of your comfort zone. As long as we kind of stay right here, it's kind of hard for us to make a difference on somebody else, you know. And uh, I heard a guy say once before, you know, about putting your hands together like that, you know, holding them up. And then he said, you know, reverse your thumbs, you know, turn it the other way. You know, he's, how does that feel now? You know, like, well, I don't like that. I like the other way. Well, that's what you have to do. You got to do something that's not comfortable. Change it up. Change it up. You know, and uh, thank you for sharing that, John. That is that is so amazing. You know, I you know, I looked at your uh, your bio, which is like 
that long, and I probably only got about, you know, a fourth of it, you know, these, well, he don't need to know about all this and all that, but, you know, you're, you're, you're such an amazing guy, you said something to me the other day, I got to share this with, with, with everybody, and, and I don't think it's embarrassing, but if it is, you just have to tell me it is, but, you know, you were saying that, or I said that, man, you, you seem like everywhere you go, you're one of the smartest guys in the room. And that you you have all this education, you just like it's like you just look forward to going to take a test to be a PhD all over again, you know. And then you said to me, "Well, you know, I try not to tell everybody, <laughs> you know, about you know what I do, and you know, and how I am where I am, because a lot of people that that makes them not uncomfortable uh, to hear that about you. Is that what you said? Yes." That's true. They'll, they'll treat you differently. And in some cases, they'll just clam up and they won't even want to talk to you. And I, I'm really an introvert. When I go home, I like to read and, you know, be in my head. Right. But outside of home, I like talking to people. I like finding out about them, especially with students, you know, trying to get right. to know them and, and getting them to uh, understand where I'm coming from. And hopefully I can understand where they're coming from. But right. Just with the people I work with, uh, you know, just everyday folks, I I uh, like them to be themselves around me and not, you know, uh, treat me uh, differently because right. of my background. That is amazing. You know, uh, my wife said the same thing. She said she would have to. It's crazy that she said this, but and and but she said she would have to like maybe dumb herself down a little bit, you know, and not be who she really is and who she really are. And, you know, of course I never had that problem. You know, I, I was never all that smart. I was never the smartest guy in the room, but, uh, but it, it's just strange to me to hear that, that people that are really, really smart, they have to kind of hold back so that they can, you know, enjoy being in the room with other people. And that's just crazy to me. You know, it's like, you know, when we met, you know, and we met, I guess, I don't know, a month or so ago. And, uh, you know, we were in the room, I think, with some pretty sharp people. You know, I mean, it wasn't just you and I. It was a whole room full of people. And mm -hmm. uh, But I find that when you are in a room with people that are interested in trying to make a difference in somebody else's life, you know, and to me, that draws us all together. We're all together. No matter how smart you are or not less smart you are, it draws you together because you're not, it's not about you at that point. It's about trying to help somebody else. And so, and that's, you know, as a matter of fact, I'll go ahead and give a shout out to my friend Della, uh, Casa, you know, for, you know, they doing what they do. Hey, Della. But anyway, the, uh, you know, I, I like trying to help people myself. I truly enjoy it. And uh, as a matter of fact, that's how we met. And I'm glad we met that way, you know, because it's, you know, I get no better feeling than seeing or knowing that the little bit that I got, the little bit that I got to give, it helped somebody else. You know, that is just so awe-inspiring to me. Makes me feel great. And, uh, you know, and I feel I don't have a whole bunch of uh, stuff to offer. You know, I mean, I haven't graduated, you know, from five colleges and got seven, eight degrees on the wall and any of that stuff. I mean, you know, I'm not trying to, you know, put you down and make you feel bad, but <laughs> I'm sure you got several of those. I mean, uh, you may be the first person that I know that is had a on his bucket list 
was to meet uh, all 12 people that have left the planet and went to the moon. I mean, that I, I don't know anybody <laughs> who would want to meet them. I mean, I mean, in meeting them, you know, how did you come about that? You know, what does that mean that you wanted to meet Buzz Aldrin and all those guys that went to the moon? You know, what, 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 what was that all about? So I lived in central Kansas at the time, and they have this great space museum in Hutchinson, Kansas. It's called the Kansas Cosmosphere, yeah. and they have a lot of space artifacts. And so they would have uh, events from time to time. And so I joined the museum and would try to go up for their special events as often as possible. And um, then I found out that they bring these uh, former Apollo astronauts through from time to time. Many of them have passed away now, but right. Uh, and so I went to one of the events and I actually got a chance to talk to, to um, a couple of them. And I, I found out something right away that many of them with, with a few exceptions were very arrogant and driven people. <laughs> really? They were like, they were like test pilots, you know, and they had a certain right. attitude about them. And one right. of them, Charlie Duke told me, he said, you know, I'm still flight qualified. And he was like 75 at the time or 80, you know, and still bragging. Oh, my goodness. uh, But then there were others who were very humble and just, you know, were very thankful that they had the opportunity to be able to step foot on the moon. And that what they experienced was the result of many thousands of people's efforts over many years. And so those are the two extreme attitudes that I saw. Wow. And that, that had to be extremely wow for you. I mean, because we're talking about some really smart guys, you know, that, uh, that qualified for that, you know, being able to go to the moon. I mean, the stuff that they had to go through, oh my goodness. I mean, you know, just not just physical stuff, but mental stuff that they had to go through. I mean, unbelievable. I just don't believe, you know, that was something. Well, I mean, anybody could do it if they just stuck with it. But at first, you really got to have some acrimony to begin with. (laughs) Yes. You got to have some. Go ahead. You got to like danger. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. That's not for me necessarily. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know. You walk into a prison. I mean, well, go ahead. I mean, <laughs> that one. <laughs> I, I, I don't like unnecessary risks. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, those guys did some unnecessary. Well, it wasn't unnecessary. This was for mankind. This was to, for, to further our humanity, you know, as to going further. I mean, it's just like right. you in the Savannah River plant down there being one of the scientists down there. Hopefully I'm not saying anything that's uh, super quiet or anything folks don't need to know about. But uh, think about that. I mean, the stuff that they do down there. I mean, well, maybe. Well, I think that was probably a little bit dangerous. What do you think? Being in that with all that stuff going on down there. It was, I, I really had an interest a long time ago in the Manhattan Project and uh, working with the Department of Energy and with radioactive materials. And that's what I ended up doing eventually. And being able to meet some very famous scientists and Nobel Prize winners was inspiring to me, just like meeting the astronauts, the moonwalkers was. But right. uh, I was able to talk to these guys, to these scientists on a scientist to scientist level. And one thing that I discovered is they're no different than you or I. They put wow. their pants on one leg at a time. Mm-hmm. I, I just found out they're more stubborn probably. You know, they, they, <laughs> they kept 
kept on keeping on until they yeah. figured something out. Stuck with it, stuck with it, stuck with it, you know, because they fail many, many times because success yep. is not about you wake up one day, you're successful. You know, no, success is built on failures. I mean, it's built on right. it. And uh, as a matter of fact, you know, I, I, you know, one of the questions we like to ask all of our guests, you know, on this thing, you know, is about, you know, failure, you know, being able to, you know, uh, you know, what happens when you had a huge failure in your life, you know, how did you react to that? You know, how did you come out of that? And I think that was the valley moment that I asked you about, and you shared that with me. And uh, we got just enough time for you to share that with our listeners. You know, how did you, uh, you know, after all the exhausting times and everything that happened, you found yourself in a valley, valley moment. So what did you do to come out of it and what you learned from it? So that was back in uh, the, the dark days for most of us, back in the middle of COVID in, in 2020, when everything had to shut down. And me, along with several other of the leadership team at the University of North Georgia, spent many, many hours developing protocols to bring people safely back on campus. Wow. I, I mean, we, we spent hours and hours and hours every week, and everything was changing constantly. And then once we finally had everything developed, we were able to bring folks back on campus. And there were a lot of, uh, of people who were not involved in the planning mm-hmm. who just thought we were just doing things, you know, <laughs> willy-nilly, <laughs> right. not thinking about safety. And that, that really hurt a lot that we would do that, that we don't care enough about people to think about their safety first. And um, it was it was tough uh, at first, but you know when you become a manager, you lose a lot of friends, right? You, oh yeah, people you the boss <laughs> quit talking to you, and they quit confiding in you. And um, once I was able to uh, convey what we were doing, then most mm-hmm. most folks uh, were able to see that. Oh yeah you do have our best interest in mind. But I think, I don't know, because of the whole atmosphere at the time, people were automatically assuming things mm-hmm. were, you know, the, the worst they could possibly be. And that's when I had to point out to a lot of people, hey, you still right. have your job. You still <laughs> have your thankful. family. <laughs> Hello. You still have a home. That's right. That's <laughs> you right. still work from home. Mm-hmm. So uh, that, that was tough. And, you know, at the time I was just trying to get by, I was treading water basically. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the, the beautiful thing about it was you know, I had my family with me and I had their support and, and they kept me going. Yeah. There you go. So family, in other words, family in that dark, dark hour or that valley, family yeah. got you through it. So and you're saying what you learned is, man, Thank God for your family. Hold on to your family. Really appreciate your family. As a lot of us, we do not. We just take them for granted. You know, it's hanging around. Well, you know, that's a good point right there, John. Excellent point. But I'm afraid we got to stop on that point. Ah, and I got at least five or six more questions, man. But we got to keep it down. We got to keep it down, man. I am so, ah, I tell you what. Uh, is it possible sometime in the future that we can get you back and we can finish this conversation? Would you be willing to do that for us, John? 
Absolutely. Ah, man, I love it. I love it. Uh, if everybody didn't know, I mean, he's one of the reasons he's here because he loved the fact the name of the show is Extreme Carolina. Wow, that's got to be a pretty good show. And I and I haven't asked you why Extreme Carolina, but we don't have time right now. Next time when we get you back, we'll do that. But right now right. we have we have got to get out of here, man. This this clock is ticking. It is, I mean, seriously, tick, 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 ticking, and we got to get out of here. So thank you, thank you so much for being here today. We really appreciate it. Uh, you know, you, you've been amazing, and this is something that the people, that Extreme Carolina listeners will always, always treasure the information that you've given us, and we look forward to having you back. So thanks for coming today. We really, really appreciate it, uh, my friend. So thanks a bunch, and uh, all right, as we get ready to get out of here, folks, Ultimately, Extreme Carolina is committed to you, our listeners, to bring you leaders and newsmakers like John here that are passionate and purpose-driven and making a difference by telling us and sharing us the stories that they have. And Extreme Carolina listeners will get refueled, reconnected, and get inspired by unlocking the power of the people. So with that said, here it is, folks. We got the quote of the week. Here it is. Let's get a little drum roll here. That's a drum roll. So with that drum roll, we're going to give it. Here we go, man. The quote of the week. All of our dreams come true if we have the courage to pursue them. Walt Disney. <laughs> How about that? I think I heard John say something like that about that earlier. Hey, man, thank you. We appreciate you being here. God bless everybody being here. Thank everyone. We'll see y'all next time. Extreme Carolina down the road. God bless you. Peace. We out. <laughs>